I used to stay out all night long Used to do a whole lot of wrong And I don't know where I would end up Kept that sweet thing Hadn't come along Said that sweet thing Hadn't come along is The Turning Point by Tyrone Davis, a kind of masterpiece of late 60s soul music. And the title of 
episode 234 is Turning Point. And I was um, so struck uh, by uh, what someone said recently. She um, was at a a meeting of all sorts of denominational uh, persons and clergy and executives um, of a Christian denomination. And um, this was a group of people who were very, very... um, I guess we would say the word today, um, very uh, concerned to virtue signal. Uh, There were uh, speech and talk and comment after comment that were coming from one particular spectrum and uh, side of the spectrum, element of the spectrum, and um, uh, a a, a version of Christianity that, uh, while it is high-minded, is very much minded as opposed to heart. It is very uh, focused on... Uh, groups and identities and concepts and conceptualities and then all sorts of exhortations to do something about it. And um, uh, this woman uh, said to me, um, you know, as I as I heard all these talks and speeches and these self-presentations of these church people, mostly ordained, I a voice went on inside me that said, there's no future in this form of Christianity. Now, I pressed her on that. What do you mean there's no future in this form of Christianity? Because she wasn't uh, making an alarmist or highly felt or ju- judgmental statement. She simply stated almost uh, kind of as a, as a, as a uh, matter of fact, I just realized, she said, that there's no future in this form of Christianity. And what she meant by that, because she said it, she said there's no saving. There's no saving here of the lost soul. There's no there's saving of groups and saving of aspects and elements in, in the structure of what constitutes a person, but there's no actual saving going on of the of the human being of the lost human being that has eternal dimensions. I, I, one way you could say it is there's no proclamation. Another way, Ernst Kazemann was once at uh, Yale Divinity School, uh, and he uh, was listening to the same kind of uh, material coming from all sorts of people, and he said, "Ja, aber das ist kein Anrede." He, he was saying, "But there's no address here. There's no address to the suffering, um, d- deeply emaciated and depreciated, exhausted human being that uh, we actually." are and certainly become. I've been studying for my blog, the Protestant, my Tumblr blog, The Protestant Face of Anglicanism, a series of photographs of Phillips Brooks, the uh, really marvelous Episcopalian preacher and uh, sort of practical thinker of the late 19th century who became um, the Bishop of Massachusetts uh, at the end after a tremendous amount of controversy. He was very low church, but he was also had had a kind of turn to what we would call theological liberalism. But what's so striking about uh, comparing the many photographs that were taken of a man who was a very great celebrity of his era is that they're increasingly um, defeated, or shall I say, um, oh, what's the word when you look at them? Uh, disillusioned. Uh, the, the photographs strike one uh, increasingly as a man who's sort of suffering life. He's sort of, he's, he's sort of seeing life as a great trial. He's suffering his life, but there's a very decreasing hope. You can look at pictures when he was at Harvard to, as an undergrad, to pictures when he was the Bishop of Massachusetts, all of which, by the way, in which he's wearing a coat and tie. He never wore a clerical collar, not once, even though he was the rector of the famous Trinity Church Copley Square for decades and the Bishop of Massachusetts. But he, um, 
the last pictures of him are so depleted and so um, kind of uh, uh, the power has come out so deeply. And uh, I guess I would say not bitter, not bitter, but d- 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 deeply uh, kind of there's a resignation that doesn't have that kind of um, joyful resignation in it whatsoever. You really ought to study these pictures and you can go on the blog and see them. But this is what happens. A, um, a, a version of religion that is uh, that is. Um, uh, of the nature of which we're saying, which really uh, takes a secondary question, as in what shall I do, uh, rather than the question who am I, and that is to say who who am I at the affect level, who am I psychically or psychologically, who am I emotionally, who is this person who feels and has acted in such a way that he or she requires a tremendous amnesty and forgiveness all the time and gets to a point when life becomes increasingly um, somber. And as I said, uh, to begin this series of casts from my friend who said to me, he said, um, I don't know anyone my age who has not run into an insuperable problem or difficulty. And this would explain why there's so much really um, suicide uh, all around us, but not just among older people. And I want to really emphasize this, and that's why I chose um, uh, Tyrone Davis. He'd reached the turning point. Now, I want to um, uh, sort of bring to this situation of extreme sobriety and um, a, a kind of radical attrition that occurs to people in the face of their earlier great expectations. I'd like to... Um, Note uh, a, a movie that I think is relevant, and um, then uh, close with a another um, a Tyrone Davis song. I think it's called "Is It Something You Got." Now, the movie it was made in 1932 and is entitled "The Sign of the Cross," and it was by Cecil B. DeMille, and it's very controversial among people. I mean, people who care about these things, who usually don't really, they, 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 they're all so interested in giving you secondary and tertiary information about this or that censorship rules at the time, or pre-code, or Cecil B. DeMille was really right-wing, but he was sort of left-wing because he was lascivious or whatever, and they don't really look at the power of what he was doing. And this movie, which is about early Christians who are being persecuted, that was made in 1936, starring someone called Elissa Landy, who really does very well in the role, although she's a little stagey, and Frederick March, who does very well in this role as the um, Roman prefect and uh, uh, noble man who falls in love with her uh, and yet will not become a Christian. And what happens to them, a la the robe, which was later on, but it's the same idea, very powerful. What's extraordinary about it, despite all the talk you'll read about nakedness and the uh, and and brutality and almost surreal brutality with alligators and and, and men in ape suits and midgets and, and Amazons in the Roman arena. And it is pretty uh, hardcore. It's pretty, that's not the right word. It's pretty, pretty tough stuff in actual fact. But what they don't say is that um, the script and the producers of this movie, and it was Cecil B. DeMille who had most to do with it, are unbelievably blunt and uh, un, um, they don't hold back when it comes to their understanding of the human problem and the conclusion. Including uh, there are two scenes which are radically powerful, and uh, you, 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 if, if they were afraid of church people, they didn't, don't show it. And if, on the other hand, they were afraid of atheists and PC people, they don't show it. They were afraid of almost nothing because the uh, conversation in which the man attempts to get the Christian heroine, with whom he is love, in, is in love, and she in love with with 
him uh, to stay with him and marry him and sleep with him right on the spot after a most humiliating, really um, actually lesbian encounter that is notorious in the history of cinema. I find it noble. I find it noble. Today people see it. Well, you'll see it. It's worth seeing. It's extraordinary. It's, it's probably one of the most unusual bits of film ever put on mainstream movies, and I think it's very moving and very beautiful. But be that as it will, the um, arguments he uses to go with him all have to do with, you know, I don't believe in God. He says, it's just a belief system. It's just a belief. Why would you want to give your life for just a belief system? Are you out of your mind when we could have a happy life and be together and be married because you love me? She admits she does. And I love you, of course. And we can be together and have a happy life and I can give you a happy life and you don't need to die for your faith, etc., etc. And she insists upon going with her fellow Christians to martyrdom. And then she's arrested by order of Nero. And it's um, Nero, the emperor, bids you come. Um, the power of it, though, is that the arguments are so classic. You know, what are you doing taking some kind of relativist belief system and organizing your life around it in such a way that you believe it's necessary to die for it? And she says, you don't understand. The stakes are eternal. It has to do with eternity. It has to do, I, I could, my, my I, I will be eternally lost if I do not follow my conscience and my belief in meeting Christ next. And he is undone by it and rather touched by it. Uh, and then in a uh, the last scene of the movie, which is really very powerful, he uh, he meets her. She's been held back from martyrdom, and he uh, he uh, meets her in the chamber where the Christians have all been just taken out to be consumed by the lions. And it's very rough stuff. It's very rough. And she's there, and he tries to talk her out of it. He says, "I have the ability." I can I can get you out of this place legally right now simply because of the authority that I have. And she absolutely refuses. And then he says, well, you mean you absolutely refuse? She said, yes, it's more, God is more important than me, than you are, but you're two, you're number two. And he says to her then, well, you're number one to me. I don't believe in your God. I believe you are God. And then he gets down on his knees and said, I will pray to you, which is absolutely the way that men uh, who are romantic and fall in love with women in a romantic way see it. They actually see the woman as God. There's a scene in my friend Jonathan Reynolds' new um, wonderful play called Providence about Roger Williams, in which Roger Williams, who is Christian of the Christians and Puritan of the Puritans, nevertheless refers to his wife as my God and she to him as his, his goddess and she to him as her God. And uh, because in that element, that ether, that room, that, that room that Justin Hayward talks about, where just you and I are there, no one else is there, you are my God. And he kneels at her feet and says, you are my God. And she says, well, I I must go. And then he says, all right, all right, I'd, I'd, I'll, because you're my God, I'll go with you. And he goes with her into the arena and dies with her. He would rather, uh, he, because she is all to him, he will go in the arena in hopes that he will be then united. He takes a step of faith. You might say, because, I mean, it's the biggest step of faith you could take. He takes the great step of faith, and he does this most remarkable thing. Well, that's um, what I wanted to um, to talk about. Why is that so powerful? Because, A, it, it, it tells the reality. Um, this life is is a dream, and uh, this life has offers something very great, especially in the male female the man woman the husband wife uh, connection. There is something uh, extraordinarily powerful in that, and I see it all the time in people, not just to mention myself, but I really do I see it everywhere, certainly in literature and art. I see it everywhere. 
everywhere. And if you disregard it, you'll be caught with such a shock at the end. It's like you'll be running towards something that you think is conceptually wonderful, and you will literally uh, trip over a wire because something else will suddenly emotionally, psychodynamically loom as overweeningly powerful and uh, transcendingly powerful. And you'll basically lose your faith because uh, you've really put it in something else, but you didn't quite acknowledge it. What is so powerful is this woman is a self-realized human being. She loves the man utterly. And yet she knows that she is going to something better that is way above this unjust word. At one, world. At one point she cries out to God very really. She said, why are you doing this, God? And this is 1936. Why are you letting this happen to me and to us? Why? Speaking of her fellow Christians, her small group, her little, her little church that meets in a room, you know, they're all being eaten by the killed, viciously, horribly, grotesquely by the lions. And that is what's, uh, uh, why is it? And she deals with God directly, but she's also given the great vision to move. She reaches the turning point in her life. She sees things as they are. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then she is given, because she reaches a point of such complete reality, she is given the faith. Uh, she has the faith. She's given the step of faith. And then she goes in, and her prayer is answered because her great love goes with her, not necessarily for the same reasons as she, but for reasons that are tied up with reverence, and they're tied up with humility, and they're tied up ultimately with altruism at the very deepest level. Altruism, uh, which takes away everything from his own self-reference to the reference of them together. It's very, very powerful. See um, The Sign of the Cross. It's very easy to get that movie. It was a big uh, success when it came out. So that's all I wanted to say. I wanted to talk about, really, the step of faith, which is involved in uh, going to death uh, in the confidence of sort of Glenn Campbell, where I am going, Jimmy Webb, where I am going. Uh, you're coming out of the storm, and you're going to something that is... Uh, 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 in a class by itself as compared to all the second-hand rose life goals of this world and yet she faces the script faces the power of the impulse to love a woman that this man has not sexual as such but fully committed and utterly uh, risk uh, non-risk averse, risk welcome, risk welcoming, and uh, together they go out. And there's a truth of life here that is very powerful. And that's really commonly called the turning point because love enables the step of faith and God meets them both more than halfway. And the movie is just unbelievable. Well, now uh, we uh, turn to um, Tyrone Davis to finish up. And I look forward to talking to you very soon. God bless. Bye. said I was leaving Girl, I didn't think I would have to stay gone so long All oh, but now five weeks have ended And I just realized that I did you wrong But just thank y'all I thought I was a big thing But apparently she thought not There must be something that I'm missing it's something that she's got Oh, babe What is that you got now, babe? Oh, I thought I had your mind right Cause this is what you led me to believe 
but now I'm the one who's uptight. And baby, I'm the one who's got to plead. But just thank y'all, I thought I was a big thing. But apparently, she thought not. There must be something that I'm missing. Or is it something that she's got? Oh, babe, what is that you got now, babe? Are you sweet loving, baby? It's all so devastating to a man. Oh, but just like black magic, babe. I'm no fool, but I couldn't understand. But just think, y'all, I thought I was a big thing. But apparently, she thought not. There must be something that I'm missing. Or is it something that she's got? What is that you got now? It makes me wanna cry. 